0: This guy is special to me. He was in the Aggies for Christ and we made a lot of trips together and he and Julie went to Thailand and uh, somehow they got romantic and he proposed (laughs) on an elephant in Northern Thailand and I was there and it was special and I'm so happy That I know Kelly Grant. And it's a privilege and an honor for me to introduce him.
1: You wear glasses now.
0: (laughs) You gotta have those glasses. (laughs) Kelly's in the class of 91. His wife, Julie, is Julie in the audience? Julie, come up here. (laughs) Uh, I just wanted to stand up here with you and Kelly. Uh, They were active in the Agus for Christ program. And we were in Thailand, and we were riding elephants up on the Burma border. And Kelly told the elephant driver to stop. They got down, and Kelly proposed. And the the, 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 the proposal led to marriage, and the marriage stuck. And we're so thankful for this couple. (laughs) Kelly's in the class of 91, Julie's in the class of 93. They have two children who are Aggies. Duncan who graduated in 20, and Abby in the class of 22. And Victoria will be here next year and is in the class of 26, and Connor will be in the class of 28. So I'm standing between two real strong Aggies, and I'm just so happy to introduce Kelly. Uh, They currently live in Frisco where Kelly's an elder at the Shawnee Trail Church of Christ. And it gives me a lot of pleasure to introduce Brother Kelly Grant.
1: Oof, that's tough. I love you, Bob. I look a lot better when Julie's up here with me, Bob, so thank you for that. Um, in fact, I have a picture. Uh, Bob mentioned we went to AFCO in 92, and Julie looks exactly the same somehow, and uh, I look very different. And you're very welcome to make fun of that fanny pack, if you like. I know it's very large, but... Uh, the, uh, I think we started a trend throughout Asia of wearing fanny packs after that trip. So, I, I kind of want to wear one now, but uh, I think my kids wouldn't let me. So, um, you know, Bob mentioned a lot about uh, our experience. We did go to Asia a few times. Uh, I was able to go twice, and it was that second trip that Bob mentioned where Julie and I felt a calling to be missionaries, and we thought we'd go back to Thailand. That was our goal. We we didn't do that. Um, A few years later, actually, the ANM Church was involved in that as well. Uh, You had a group that came to recruit a group of Aggies to go to Santiago, Chile. And so we joined up with some other Aggies, and we moved to Chile in 1999 and lived there for 11 years. And we're blessed to be uh, part of that church planting group. Some of you came down. Uh, We had several Aggie trips that that joined us, and um, we we planted the Providencia Congregation. And... um, you know this church has, for years and years and years, been involved in missions. And I had I had dinner recently with Priscilla Dutton. Some of you know the Duttons, Alan and Maria Dutton were supported by this church in Brazil for years and years and years. And Priscilla just talked about how good this church was to her family and memories she had as a kid coming back to the AM Church and, and on furloughs and being here with this church. I think about Thailand. I think about the Philippines. I think about the work that you're doing in Eastern Europe, and Africa the Aggies that you've supported, the Aggies that you've sent out from this church to do mission work, and, and I can't even tell you the number of people. I don't even think you know the number of people that you've influenced because of your mission work. Thousands and thousands of lives have been transformed because of you, so thank you for that. And this morning, i just like to think about the thousands of people who are worshiping God this morning and giving thanks to him because of the salvation they received, and again, because of you. And I think about this scene in Revelation, and you know, when you think about all those lives that have been transformed, all the people that that have come to know Jesus, it sounds a lot like what John says in Revelation 7, 9. After this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. And they were clothed in white robes and they held palm branches in their hands and they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And our brothers and sisters worldwide have found the salvation of God that comes through the Lamb of Jesus Christ. And their stories, when you hear about their stories, when you hear about their lives are transformed, that should encourage you and that should inspire you and that should, that should make you want to live the same kind of lives that they're living and give the same kind of thanks to God that they're giving and have the gratitude that they have for the hope that they found in Him. And I think of examples when we were in Chile and one example sticks out to me and it's a man named uh, Maximiliano Tapia. We're gonna call him Maxie in English. And Maxie showed up at our church for inaugural service and he asked for a Bible study. And I gotta be totally honest with you, Maxie's weird. He was very weird, actually. He, uh, I know, I know that's weird to say, but uh, he was. And he wouldn't look you in the eye when he met you. He, He had a hard time talking to you and we found out why Maxie was that way. Uh, he was about 50 years old, and he was an orphan. He had never met his biological parents. In fact, his goal in life was to find his biological parents. We actually tried to help him with that at different times. But we also found out that Maxie was schizophrenic. And when he was on his medication, he was okay, but there were other times that he wasn't doing as well. But Maxie studied the Bible, and Maxie was baptized, and we began to help him financially because Maxie received $80 a month from the Chilean government for disability. And if that doesn't sound like a lot to you, it's not a lot there in Chile either. And so we helped him out of our offering. And Maxie, we saw some changes in him. He began to serve. He began to water all the plants around the church and outside the church. And he began to sweep. And, and Maxie was very territorial about that. In fact, if you tried to help Maxie, he'd say, no, that's my job. Don't, don't, don't do my job. And then a few years later, we got involved with a children's home. And it was a kids, children's home for kids who were sexually abused. And Maxie became the champion for these kids we saw this change in him. In fact, we were starting to raise, uh, gather food for these children, and, and Maxie took it upon himself to go to each person in our church and ask them to give food. And he wasn't very nice about it sometimes, but people gave. <laughs> he, was, he was very uh, direct. Um, and I'll be honest, there were many times that I thought, I don't know why this guy is a part of our church. I'm, I'm being honest. Like, I don't know what this guy has to offer to our church through the years, I saw that transformation of Maxie. And what I discovered was that God used the Providencia Church to change Maxie's life. But God used Maxie to change us. Maxie died last year. And he's received his reward because of the Lamb. You know, the Bible has a lot of examples of transformed lives. And there's one that sticks out to me, and you, you know this person well, but we find him in Acts chapter 7. And in Acts chapter 7, we find him, and he's at the stoning of Stephen. And there's Stephen, and Stephen's preaching the sermon, and, and Stephen is being, being in the process of being killed by being stoned, which is a horrible way to die. And there we see Saul. And Saul's not participating in the stoning, but Saul is giving his approval. And Saul is there holding the coats to the men who are stoning Stephen. He's giving his approval of that happening. but he's also listening. And Paul's hearing this, the sermon that Stephen's giving. Paul can hear him asking God to forgive these men that have just killed him. And that doesn't change Paul at all. <laughs> Paul, actually, it, it, it makes him more determined than ever, more resolute, that he's going to destroy the Christian church. And we know that because in Acts chapter eight verse three it says this: "But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women. To throw them in prison. And so Paul did not want people to follow Christ. Paul did not believe in this new new faith that had had sprung up that was uh, supplanting the Jewish faith. So much so that he went to the priest and he said, Hey, I know there's this Christian group in Jerusalem, but there's another one in Damascus. Send me there. I want to do the same thing. I want to destroy the church in Damascus. So he's on the road to Damascus, you know the story. And as he's on the road, he has this encounter with Jesus, and Jesus said, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And Saul, the person who was killing and and throwing men and women, Christian men and women, in prison becomes Paul, the missionary to the Gentiles. A transformed life. And really much of the rest of the book of Acts and really a lot of the New Testament is the story of Paul, the missionary. The one who, who Jesus has sent out on his behalf. And because of that, Paul knew what his legacy would be. He was confident that he was doing what God called him to do. And so look at what he says in Philippians chapter 1. In Philippians chapter 1, he says this, I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know I'm torn between the two I desire to depart and be with Christ which is better by far but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body it's an amazing statement by Paul isn't it it's pretty incredible in fact when I read that statement I can't say the same thing that Paul does I don't know if you can because too often I'm not ready to leave this earth There's a lot of things I still want to accomplish. A lot of things I want to do. There's a few silly things I'd like to do. I'd like to go to Europe. I've never been to Europe. I'd like to see Wrigley Field. I'd like to see my grandkids someday down down the road. No no pressure on my kids. I'd love to see the Aggies win the national championship in football in my lifetime. That would be awesome. But too often, I am tied down to the things of this world. I'm tethered to this world. And I forget why I'm here. And I forget what it is that God has called me to do. And Paul did not have that problem at all. Paul knew exactly why he was here. He had a laser-like focus on what God had called him to do. And he lived a life with gratitude for that salvation that he had received, that transformed life. And his actions demonstrated a person who understood the magnitude of the forgiveness and the salvation that he had received in his life. And like Paul, how should we as people who have received that same forgiveness, that same grace, that same mercy, that same salvation, how should we live our lives? And I know this is not going to be very preachery of me, but I only have one point. So I don't have three. I got one. And here it is. You ready? I know. That's not a bad thing, is it? (laughs) Thank you for said that. Uh, And this is it. It's live with audacity. And you might hear that term and you think audacity that's the person who says an insulting comment or has some sensational thing at Thanksgiving, makes a crazy uncle, and you say, man, the audacity of that guy. Can you believe what he said? That's not what I'm talking about. There's another definition for audacity, and it's this, to be willing to take bold risk, to be courageous. You know, Jesus uses this word in Luke 11 when he's talking about the man who's persistent in prayer. And he goes to his neighbor's house to ask for something late at night. And he continues to knock on the door and knock on the door until the guy finally shows up. And this is is what he says. Yet because of your shameless audacity, that's just a great phrase, isn't it? Because of your shameless audacity, your bold courage, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And we live in a society, we live in a culture that places a very, very high value on personal safety, don't we? protection. Many of our prayers include God protecting us and and making us safe. And and I'm not saying that, that we shouldn't ask God for those things. God is our protector. He's a loving father who wants the best for us. But I wonder if this desire to be safe and protected, if it doesn't keep us from being bold and courageous in our faith. And I think here's the most important point. Why are we bold and courageous? Why are we audacious in our faith? It's because we're so smart, because we're so capable, or we're so talented or we're so strong? not at all. We're audacious in our faith. We're bold and courageous because we serve a God who is mighty and powerful. And because of that God, we can be audacious in our faith. You're missionaries. Your national church leaders, they exhibit audacious faith every day. Many of them live in places that have a high crime rate. Just for one example, 42 of the 50 most dangerous cities in the world are in Latin America. And that's based on uh, murders per capita. And so personal security is important, so much so that they live behind high walls, they, if they can't afford iron spikes to put on those walls, they, they cement broken glass on top of their walls. Uh, they have big guard dogs to keep people out of their houses. When they're on the street, they're always mindful of, of what's in their pocket. In fact, they never carry their wallet in their back pocket. It's always in the front. They always have their hand on top of it. They're worried about being mugged. They're constantly vigilant. So what will it take to make a difference in these places? where poverty is rampant, where crime is commonplace, where people are living without hope, living in the darkness. The audacious faith of our missionaries and national Christians is a shining example to the people that they live amongst. And one thing that we all know is it's not safe at all to leave your country, to leave your culture, to learn a new language, to be away from your family and friends. There's nothing safe about that. I love this, this part of uh, C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And you have Mr. Beaver, and he's talking about Aslan. And if you read the book, you know that Aslan is a representation of God. And he says this, safe. Who said anything about safe? Of course he, Aslan, isn't safe, but he's good, and he's the king. And I love that quote because it leads into this quote from a, a former missionary that I, I was reading a, a quote from her book called Dangerous Territory. This is a little bit long, but stick with me because I think it's, it's important. And she says this. Her name is Amy Peterson. This God, the good, unsafe God, is not the kind of God American Christians talk about often in their churches. But when I went abroad, I encountered him with the force of a head-on collision. I spent the last 14 years in three different countries in the Horn of Africa. And one of the most common questions I get is, are you safe? And this is a hard question to answer. Do I feel safe? Yes. Am I actually truly safe? Um, Yes and no. What do you mean by safe? Do you mean are there bombs going off and guns everywhere and a high risk of kidnapping and I can't leave my house or go out alone? In that case, I'm perfectly safe. But could I get malaria? Could my kids get dengue fever? Could there be a car accident or a terror attack? Could I die or lose my faith? And if you look at things that way, I'm absolutely not safe. audacious faith it's a wonderful story in acts chapter 4 and it's one of my favorite stories in the bible because it involves peter and john and peter and john are in the temple and they're preaching and they're healing and and the jews are tired of this because more and more people are following christ the messiah and so they go to them and they bring in front of the sanhedrin the leaders of the jews and they tell them you must stop teaching you must stop preaching or else you know what peter and john say no (laughs) we're not going to stop And they're frustrated. In fact, Peter and John start to preach to them and tell them about Christ, the Messiah. What I think is amazing about this story is why were these two men, these fishermen, why were they so audacious? Where did their courage and boldness come from? And what's interesting is the Jews know exactly where it came from. And they tell us. They tell us in Acts chapter 4. They say this. These are the Jews. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. And they were astonished. Here it comes. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Where did their boldness come from? Where did their courage come from? Why were they so audacious in their faith? They had spent time with Jesus. If you're wondering this morning how you can have that kind of faith, it's simple. Spend time with Jesus. Being with Jesus should inspire us to live lives that exhibit bold and courageous actions in his name. And you might be asking, what does that look like for my life? And I don't know. I seriously don't know what it looks like for your life. And the reason I don't know is because I don't know your situation. I don't know your circumstances. I don't know your talents. I don't know your gifts. But here's what I do know. I know what it does not look like. And it doesn't look like a life whose only pursuit is their career goals, the accumulation of wealth, personal pleasure, hobbies. It doesn't look like a life of someone who's only focused on the things of this earth. That's not what it looks like at all. A few years ago, I was in Cuba, and I was meeting with the president of the Churches of Christ. I know that's a very odd statement I just made, but in Cuba, there is a president of the Churches of Christ by law, and he's the guy that we get our religious visas from. when We go there and we had to work out some things. So I went and met with him and he's, he's a very engaging guy. And so he's telling us a story about the church in Cuba. And he's talking about a, a, a church plant that they wanted to have happen in Havana. And he said, you know, there was a time when Fidel uh, gave power to his brother Raul, that there was some opening of, of religious freedom. And so he said, during that time, a buddy of mine called me and he said, hey, if you ever wanted to have a church building just for the church, Now's the time. And the backstory of that is when the revolution happened, uh, the communist government basically took over most religious institutions throughout the country. But they left some church buildings for each religious group, and the Churches of Christ had about five church buildings throughout the country that they kept. And so most churches meet in homes. So this was a big deal that they could have a building just for the church. So they got the money together, they, they found the spot, and they put this proposal together to take to the proper authorities. And so the president and another member of the church went and met with this lady, and they presented it to her with all confidence this was going to be approved. And she looked at it, and she said, hey, this is uh, for a church building. Yeah, yeah, it is. Well, I can't approve that. She said, in fact, as long as I'm in this position, you'll never have a church building. So she rejected it. The president, of course, is trying to explain, you know, and and anyway, it didn't, didn't work. Well, the guy next to him just speaks up, and he said, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to start praying right now that you lose your job when someone else gets in here and approves this proposal. The president is trying to get out there as fast as he can. and He's telling this guy, he goes, hey, man, we can't do that. We're in Cuba, you know. Throw us in jail. So anyway, a month later, the president gets another call from his buddy, and he goes, hey, you know what? You might resubmit that proposal. He's like, why is that? He said, because, remember that lady that rejected your proposal? You're figuring out the story. I have a feeling. She got fired. <laughs> they took the proposal in, and here's a picture of the church building in Havana. Audacious faith. Isn't that incredible? That man exhibited audacious faith. In Revelation, once again, John talks about this scene, and how the evil one is overcome and how his plans are defeated. And this is what he says. Revelation 12, 11. And they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. How is the evil one defeated? Through the power of Jesus Christ and through our actions on this earth. Isn't that what it tells us? And they lived with audacity. They did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Audacious faith. You know, this church has shown audacious faith for years. Y'all have been involved in missions. Y'all have, have, have spread the gospel here in College Station and throughout the world. You do that in a number of different ways. I've been the recipient of that. been blessed, me and my family, through the Aggies for Christ. But your generosity this morning to support missions throughout the world and here in College Station is a sign that you believe in the power of the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ and that power to transform and change lives and provide hope. You know, we're never promised that we would be safe because of our faith, but we do have the unwavering knowledge that the creator of the universe, God our Father, loves us and sent his son for us. And our God is not a safe God, not at all. But he's a very, very good God. And it's in his goodness where we find power and motivation to live and serve him in a dangerous world. He didn't call us to be safe, but he called us to be bold. He called us to be courageous. And I want to thank you on behalf of my family for what you have done for this community and this world. I never would have gone on the mission field if I hadn't gone on a trip to Southeast Asia. Jerry talked about short-term missions. I don't know a single long term missionary who hasn't gone on a short term trip. Keep doing those things. Keep encouraging. Keep giving. Keep being generous. Keep believing in the hope that only God can provide. And may God bless the AM Church of Christ. Thank you very much.
0: Will you please stand as we about to sing?